Good morning. Welcome to Forest Hill Church. We have three campuses uh, here at South Park, Valentine, and Fort Mill. Soon to be a fourth one, we'll let you know as that begins to unfold. Uh, we're looking at the book of James in the last months. We're in James, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. Please uh, take out your Bibles, your iPhones, iPads, whatever you want to use to follow along. Just please don't text during the message, okay? Thank you very much. Uh, I want to share with you some insights into this text, a powerful text. Uh, last night, a young man, after it was over, was so convicted by this message about the tongue that he gave his life to Jesus Christ right then and there. Isn't that cool? The wonderful moment of the guy weeping and crying over his sin and asking God to forgive him through Jesus Christ. And it was just a powerful, powerful moment. So I hope the same thing will happen today with one of you as you come to be a part of this. Just a couple of quick things. First of all, again, as Jonathan prayed, Marilyn and I and 20 other Forest Hillers are leaving tomorrow for Burundi. Uh, there we're going to do a lot of work all over the country. But one of the primary things we're going to do is to dedicate this building that you have given money to make happen. The purpose of this building is to bring together tribal entities from all over Africa to hear Jesus' ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness so that they will stop the senseless slaughter of one another that's been going on for decades, in some cases even centuries. Your money helped build this building. We're going to dedicate it this time. Would you thank God through your giftedness that this is going to happen? And when we get back, we'll be more than happy to share with you the dedication. Really, dignitaries from all over the continent of Africa are coming. Uh, we're hoping it will be something that will be used for really centuries to come if the Lord doesn't come back before then. Also, again, please pray for Syria. A lot of churches, uh, organizations all over the world are praying for Syria. This weekend, uh, just so much uh, agony and pain there, it, it just burdens our hearts. Okay, I want to talk to you about James, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. But before I do that, uh, here is the central message of the book of James. He's basically saying to Christians, if you are a Christian, live it. Live it. No hypocrisy. If you really follow Jesus, live the way he wants you to live. And probably the most powerful verses up till now have been in James 1, 26 through 27. Let me read it to you. If anyone thinks he is religious... And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So in this, uh, ver these verses, James says, here are the three ways to live out the Christian life in his opinion. Uh, first of all, in serving that was chapter 2 we saw over the last several weeks, serving especially the poor. Secondly, in separation, uh, living a life that's unstained from the world as a follower of Jesus, living a pure and holy life. And thirdly, in your speech. And the primary place where this is seen is in James, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12, although there are verses talking about bridling your tongue in every chapter in the book of James. Now, to introduce the message today, I want to use a video clip. It's from the movie 42, uh, the Jackie Robinson story. If you're not a baseball aficionado, let me tell you briefly what's going on. In the 1940s, around 1947, Jackie Robinson was sought out by Branch Rickey, the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, to become the first African-American to break the color barrier in Major League Baseball. What the movie doesn't tell you, though, is that Branch Rickey was a very committed follower of Jesus. The person he sought out, finally concluded to be Jackie Robinson, 
had to be, first of all, a great baseball player, but Branch Rickey was secondly looking for someone who was also a totally devoted follower of Jesus. When they first met about the idea of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, here's what Branch Rickey told Jackie Robinson. Again, this is not in the movie. He said, Jackie, both of us love the Lord Jesus Christ. We're both committed to him in every possible way. And if you commit to doing this, racial epithets will be slurred against you. You'll hear anger and vitriol like never before, and you're going to have to live what you believe. You're going to have to live it. You're going to have to pray for your persecutors and forgive those who wrongfully and spitefully speak against you. You're going to have to show Jesus. But if you do, over time, we'll break this color barrier, and it will be for God's glory. Well, Jackie Robinson finally committed to do it. And in his first game at Crosley Field, in the clip you're about to see, all kinds of racial epithets were slurred toward him, particularly the use of the N-word. And I recognize that this word is terribly offensive to African Americans. For those of you who have young children, I hope you'll use what you're about to see as a chance to go home and tell them you should never use your tongue that way. If it is offensive to another person with a darker skin hue created in the image of God, don't do it. But in this particular scene, you're going to see Pee Wee Reese, the shortstop, come to Jackie Robinson and speak words to him that literally gave him the courage to continue on and break the color barrier. What you also need to know is, first of all, Pee Wee Reese's family was in the stands. You're going to see his nephew be influenced by the N-word being used. And secondly, you're going to see Pee Wee Reese's own personal deep faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk in just a moment about the right and wrong use of the tongue, how powerful an instrument it is to give death or life. Please watch this clip. scored three times that day. I just have to wait and see. Wow, that would be great. Cincinnati fans expressing their displeasure as the Dodgers take the field. Jack Robinson at first, Brad Eddy, Stanky at second, Spotty Jorgensen at third, and the captain, Pee Wee Reese, at short. Fans ask any man and they'll tell you the Gillette Super Speed Razor is our honey. Maybe the sweetest shaving razor you'll ever use. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. They can say all they want. We're just here to play ball. It's just a bunch of crackpots still fighting the Civil War. Well, hell, we'd have won that son of a gun if the corn stalks would have held out. We just ran out of ammunition. Better luck next time, Pee Wee. Ain't gonna be a next time, Jackie. All we got's right here. Right now, you know what I mean? Thank you, Jackie. What are you thanking me for? I got family up there from Louisville. I need them to know. 
I need them to know who I am. Hey, number one. You playing ball or socializing? Playing ball, up. Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. That's the 10th time I've seen that, and I still get tears in my eyes. Um, because, first of all, that young boy was Pee Wee Reese's nephew. Hey, parents, do you think your words affect your kids? Negatively. And then Pee Wee Reese's words, for those of you who know the Jackie Robinson story, that was the moment that Jackie got the courage to continue so that now in Major League Baseball, one game a year, Everybody wears number 42. Everybody does. Largely because of the words of encouragement that Pee Wee Reese spoke to Jackie Robinson that day. If you're able, out of reverence for the reading of the Scripture, would you stand? I believe unashamedly that this is the Word of God. James, the third chapter, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Okay, everybody stick out your tongue at me. You too. <laughs> this little member of our body controls so much power in our lives. Let's look at this power that the tongue has. Uh, first of all, in verses 1 through 4, the power to actually control us. Look at verse 1. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I think this is talking to two people. Uh, First of all, myself and those of you who aspire to be teachers of the Bible. You just need to know, I need to know, that we are held to a stricter accountability by God than you are. We will experience a greater wrath from God in judgment than you will. Because it is so important that we rightly divide and teach accurately this book. So James warns those of you who speak with this tongue, be careful if you aspire to teach the word because you're held to a greater wrath, a stricter judgment. Then I think it's also addressing those of you who've been hurt in the church by ministers, preachers, teachers who have not rightly taught the word of God. You've sat under dictators who just wanted a following. You've sat under deficient teachers who didn't know the full truth of the Word of God or 2,000 years of church history who told you that you just throw away the crutches and believe in faith and nothing happened and your faith was destroyed. Or to devious teachers who are driven by money and power and not the Lord himself. Or deceitful teachers whom Jesus called wolves in sheep's clothing. If you came from such an experience and you were damaged spiritually by such a teacher, I'm sorry. But just do this. Give them to God. Because they will face a greater wrath than anyone else. And I hope and pray that I'm rightly dividing the Scripture for you and teaching you the beauty of the gospel of grace and God's enormous love for you in Christ. Verse 2, James continues with how the tongue can control us. For we all stumble in many ways. Uh, This is talking about the biblical doctrine of original sin. It means that all of us are birthed with a selfishness toward sin against God. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea. They don't want to believe that basically we're born selfish and then occasionally do good things because the image of God is stamped on our lives. But, folks, that is the biblical teaching. All have sinned and fall far short of God's perfect glory. There is no one righteous, not one. And here it's said again, we all stumble in many ways. You don't believe that? Look at your tongue. It's universal. Every person has used the tongue to either speak filthy language, corrupt language, slander another, complain, curse, be contentious, speak vile words, gossip, be deceitful, lie, whatever it might be, all have misused the tongue. And every single one of us is guilty. There's not one who escapes knowing we've misused the tongue and hurt other people accordingly. James then continues, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. What does that mean? It means if you're able to control your tongue, you don't become perfect. That word really in the Greek means spiritually mature. In other words, the most spiritually mature person is the person who can hold his tongue, is the person who can control his tongue. And if you can control your tongue, you're able to control your whole body. Many of us battle with self-control in different areas. James here says, get your tongue under control, and that will be the first step toward getting other parts of your body under control. Verse 3, 
if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So James gives us two illustrations about how controlling the tongue can control our whole bodies or control our whole lives. First is a horse. These huge stallions with great power and might, if you put a tiny little bit in their mouths, the rider can turn the reins one way or another, and this huge horse will respond because of the small bit in the mouth. The second illustration is verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Look at ships, James says. Like horses, they're huge. In that day, powered by the wind through the masts and the sails, but the pilot can direct the ship, even though the gusts of the wind may be great, simply by that small little rudder at the bottom of the ship. Huge ship controlled by a tiny rudder. And who's the one that makes the decision how that small little bit or rudder is used? It's the rider or the pilot. According to your will, how you desire this tongue is used to either encourage or destroy. The power of the tongue to control us. There's also the power of the tongue to destroy us, James says in verses 5 through 8. Verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Every sin in the world flows forth from one original sin, pride. It is the belief that we're better than somebody else. And we've not only got to be better than somebody else, we've got to be better than everybody else. What caused Lucifer, the angel of light in heaven, to become Satan, the destroyer, was the sin of pride. He envied the position that Jesus had, and he led a rebellion in heaven and took a third of the angels with him who became the demons because he was prideful. This small little tongue in our mouths boasts of great things. We tell others how wonderful we are, how great we are. This tiny tongue boasts of enormous pride. And it's destructive to us all. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Isn't that true? Our tongue can destroy numbers of people's lives. With gossip or slander, we can destroy dozens of people. One small little tongue with great destructive power. It's like a forest fire. Uh, Marilyn and I had the privilege uh, several months ago to be in Southern California, and some friends of ours took us around and showed us the Southern California forest fires. Literally thousands upon thousands of acres raised to the ground burnt to a crisp. Any house or building that stood before that rampaging forest fire was burnt to the ground. I asked my friend showing us around, what caused this? And his answer was intriguing. He said, oh, one match. Or, he said, one casually dropped cigarette butt. Billions of dollars of destruction brought about by one match or one cigarette butt. James says that's what the tongue can do. With our words, we can destroy the lives of all kinds and numbers of people. And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. What does that phrase mean, a world of unrighteousness? It just shows how unrighteous the world is. James is saying here, it's universal. Everybody's got the problem. All over the world, the tongue is like a forest fire that destroys people. The tongue, he continues, is set among our members, staining the whole body. This tiny tongue hurts our whole lives. It hurts every part of who we are. It stains every part of who we are. All of us are guilty, every one of us, setting on fire the entire course of life. Um, What does that mean? Uh, The entire course of life could also be, in in the Greek language, the cycles of nature. Uh, Let's talk about that for a second. Did anybody enjoy waking up this morning to 58-degree temperatures? What's it signaling? Soon there will be? Fall. Man, it didn't fall fun in the Carolinas. In fact, one of the reasons Charlotte is such an attractive place in which to live is because we have four distinct seasons that are relatively mild. You have the summer with some hot days, but you know like this morning, fall is coming and fall is gorgeous around this place and the temperatures are mild. And then you go into winter and winter's cold. You have maybe a couple of snowy days, but not much. Maybe a couple of ice days, but not much. And you know that soon after winter will come, Spring And isn't spring wonderful in the Carolinas, the blooming azaleas and everything else? But then you know after spring comes summer. And you know there's a cycle, four distinct seasons that always come. But here's what James is saying. As there is an entire course of life, as there are cycles in nature that change, one thing never changes, and that is the destructive power of the tongue. Nature changes But the ability of the tongue to destroy ourselves and other people's lives doesn't ever change. And that is set on fire by hell. James says that the power of the tongue to destroy comes from hell itself. The word there is Gehenna. It's the same word Jesus used for hell. And if any of you out there don't like the biblical teachings on hell, would you please go take it up with Jesus? He's the one who taught it. The most insightful information we have in the Bible about the reality of hell come from the gentlest lips that ever uttered a word, Jesus himself. And James just simply seizes upon Jesus' teaching and says, the destructive power of the tongue comes from the fires of hell. They come from below, up to our tongues to destroy people. And Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why he rebelled against God. He wanted control when he didn't get it. He set himself against all of God's goodness, love, compassion, and mercy. That's from where the destructive power of the tongue comes, hell itself. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. You know, that's true. When you really think about it, every kind of beast, I mean, even the king of the jungle has been tamed. You go to zoos and you see the tamed lion. Uh, You see birds in cages, tamed reptiles. I mean, some of you even have a snake living in your house. God help you. I don't know why you're doing that. But snakes have even been tamed. You even have charmers in India who have tamed cobras to respond to their instruments of music. And sea creatures have been tamed. There's a place in Japan, I just heard this week, where you can get in the water with stingrays and sharks And they've trained the people who get into the water not to worry because the sharks won't bite them. God help them. I don't believe it. 
But they actually get people to pay good money and get into tanks with stingrays, pet them, and pet the sharks because they assure those who've paid that the sharks have been tamed. All these have been tamed. But no human being can tame the tongue. Isn't that true? It just keeps on destroying. It's a restless evil, James says. Not just an evil, a restless evil. What does restless mean? It means you're never satisfied. You've just got to have more and more and more. You just keep on destroying with this tongue full of deadly poison, not just poison. Hey, I'll take a little poison, all right? But a deadly poison kills. That's what the tongue can do, James says. So with the tongue, there is the power to control us. There's the power to destroy us. And there's also the power to change us, verses 9 through 12. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Isn't that true? You know, on the one hand, we come into worship and we use the tongue to praise God, give him blessings and honor, glory, power, and dominion. Then we get in our cars and we start cursing the people who cut us off in the parking lot. Or in another situation, you're driving to worship with your family or a friend and you get at one another and you just start bickering and arguing with one another and you cut each other down. And parents, some of your words to your kids, believe me, they do impact them. Proverbs 18:21 says, life and death is in the tongue. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not in the Bible. Is it true? No. Some of you are still carrying the wounds of parents and significant others who spoke death words to you, maybe even driving to church. And right after that, you start singing praises to God. It's unbelievable. We, the same tongue that praises God within seconds can be cursing people created in the image of God. You know, all children are created in the image of God. That's why all people do good. They still have that image of God stamped on their lives, even though we're still birthed with a bent towards selfishness. What's interesting, though, is people might come to me and just say, Hey, David, I just love your teaching. You've changed my life. That's so incredible what you gave me today. Thank you for all you've done for me. And then go to one of my kids and say, You're the worst of dregs in the society. And I go with that. How can you do that? How can you tell me you love me and then speak words of destruction to the people I love most in this world, created in my image? How can we praise God with our tongues and then turn around and destroy people created in the image of our Father in heaven? Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Isn't that true? The same tongue blesses God and curses others. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here's James. If you're a follower of Jesus, what? What? Live it. This use of the tongue for followers of Jesus should not be so. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Okay, the first illustration James uses is the source of water. And he asked the question, can the source of water pour forth at the same time fresh and salt water? The answer is no. If it's salt water, it sources salt water. If it's fresh water, it's salt, it sources fresh water. Fresh water and salt water together is called brackish but it doesn't have the same source they come together outside their source verse 12 can a fig tree my brothers and sisters bear olives the answer is oh please people let me think you're a little bit intelligent here okay 
What do you say? Let me ask it again. Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, produce olives? No. Fig trees produce figs. Olive trees produce olives. You are indeed brilliant. Thank you so much. Okay. Or a grapevine produce figs. Answer is no. Grapes produce grapes. Thank you so much. Neither can. Third illustration. He uses one from the trees and then one to the salt pond again. Can a salt pond produce uh, yield fresh water? The answer is no. A salt pond is a salt pond. A fresh water pond is a fresh water pond. There's no admixture there. So the question is, what's the source of your words? Here's the truth, folks. If you have bitter words, you have a bitter source. You have a bitter heart. If you have angry words, you have an angry heart. If you have judgmental words, you have a judgmental heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew, the 12th chapter. In verse 36, he gives us those powerful words that none of us want to hear, where he said, every single person who ever lives will be held accountable for God, before God for every idle word. Matthew 12, 36. You write it down, look it up yourself. We're going to be held accountable for every idle word. It should cause all of us to pause, gulp. But then he precedes that with verse 34. You brood of vipers. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious legalists of the day. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. He's just basically saying the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. What's in your heart is going to flow forth through your mouth. So do a tongue examination. And if your words are bitter and destructive and angry and complaining, that's your heart. But also realize Jesus came to give us all new hearts. In the upper room with the disciples, Jesus forgave them. He forgave them. The cross had occurred. He forgave them. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit. They were forgiven. He created new hearts within them. But he said, wait, though, until the Holy Spirit comes upon you at Pentecost, and then you'll be my disciples. But don't go out until you get that power from on high. So they wait in the upper room in Acts 1 until finally in Acts 2, the Spirit comes upon the disciples, the 120 in the upper room. And what's interesting is people describe the experience like a fire from heaven that came down and took over their tongues, tongues of fire. And they went out into the streets and proclaimed the gospel of grace, the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Here's what I think happened. Before their hearts were controlled by the fire of hell that caused their words to destroy. But when Jesus causes you to be born again, born of the Spirit, whatever words you want to use, it is like a fire that comes down from heaven, consumes our hearts with Jesus' love, and the first thing that is affected is our tongues of fire. What comes out of our mouths reflects the new birth in our hearts. You know, we're going to be baptizing just uh, some people in just a moment. And you know what baptism means? It means people going under the water and dying to self and being controlled totally by the Holy Spirit. As they come out of the water, they are resurrected to that new life. And sometimes, folks, I wonder. I wonder if when people get baptized as Christians, if they don't open their mouths and let the water cover their tongues. 
Because if your heart has truly received the forgiveness and the love of Jesus, your tongue should reflect the new heart that Jesus has given you. So all you've got to do is confess your sins to him like Moses did last night. And the new spirit of God will come into you. And the first evidence of that will be a desire for your tongue to be bridled by the Holy Spirit. So if that's truly happened, if you've been born again, the gospel of grace lives in your heart, there should be three reflections of it. First of all, you should praise yourself. <laughs> Not boasting, but you should stop your negative self-talk. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know that voice that speaks to you all day long? You're worthless. You're awful. How could God love you? And it demeans you and puts you under, discourages you, so you don't want to continue. Learn how to praise yourself like this. I'm sorry, voice. I won't listen to you. I'm a born-again follower of Jesus. His spirit lives within my heart. I'm an adopted child of God in the family of God. I am loved in the beloved. I'm a child birthed in the kingdom of God. The king of kings and lord of lords' blood pulsates through my veins. I am not who you say you are. You just shut up right now in Jesus' name. You got it? All week long, you positively talk to yourself. David did it in Psalm 42. Read the psalm very closely. He was evidently discouraged, and he said to his soul, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? You put your hope in God. You see what he's doing? He's doing positive self-talk. You put your hope in God, self, soul, so praise yourself. Know your identity and continue to let that voice speak to your heart. Secondly, use your tongue to encourage others. Do you realize that your tongue, parents to your kids or just to people in general, could be used to change the history of a person's life? In fact, I want to give you an illustration of how someone's tongue changed the whole history of America. Her name is Mrs. Beneducci. She was a fifth grade school teacher back in the Detroit City school system. During that time period, in the early 1960s, there was integration that was occurring in Detroit and all over America. It was very tense. And in Mrs. Beneducci's fifth grade class, there were several African-American kids who'd come in. And it was tense between them and the white kids, particularly with one African-American kid, a very short, small kid by the name of Stephen Morris, who was also sight-impaired. But Mrs. Beneducci saw something in this kid, some special something. She knew that he had a hearing gift in this that compensated for his sight impairedness. So she was trying to find out a way for him and the other African-Americans to be assimilated into the classroom. She came up with a brilliant scheme one day. While she was lecturing, she hid the class mouse in the waste paper basket. And then there came scratching. Mrs. Beneducci stopped and went, oh, no, the class mouse is loose. Well, fifth graders jumped on their chairs. Oh, no, the class mouse is loose. Class mouse is loose. You know, Mrs. Beneducci said, shh, shh, I got an idea. Stephen, Stephen Morris, you have an exceptional gift of hearing. Tell us where the class mouse is. The first words spoken by Stephen Morris in that classroom after several weeks were these. Shh, everybody be quiet. He listened intently. He said, Mrs. Beneducci, the class mouse is in the waste paper basket. She reached down, took it out by the tail, said, oh, here it is, kids, here it is. Sigh of relief. She went and put it back in the cage. Then she looked at Stephen. She said, Stephen, Stephen Morris, what an exceptional gift of hearing you have. You are indeed a wonder. 
And thereafter, his classmates nicknamed him Little Stevie Wonder. Within months, he produced his first music album. His hearing giftedness caused him to explore a musical giftedness, and that first album was Fingertips Part Two. And for those of us old enough to remember, it was a cool song. And then he went on to produce many, many, many others. And did you know that the chief record CD album seller throughout the history of music is, first of all, not Elvis. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not Elvis. <laughs> it's not the Beatles who want to hold your hand. The top seller of music albums in the history of the record industry is Little Stevie Wonder. The entire history of American rock and roll and rhythm and blues, folks, was dramatically transformed through a fifth grade school teacher named Mrs. Beneducci who knew the power of positive words. By the way, that's one of my favorite stories. Some of you may have heard me share that before. I love to share it. And I had a speaking engagement in Detroit, Michigan about six, seven years ago, and I shared that story. And after it was over, a young man came up to me and he said, nice to meet you, David. Um, concerning that story about Mrs. Beneducci, and I went, uh-oh, Detroit, Michigan, Mrs. Beneducci, Stevie Wonder, a pastor's worst nightmare is to think he's embellished or wrongly stated a story. And he looked at me and said, yeah. He said, uh, Mrs. Beneducci, that's my grandmother. I went, really? <laughs> uh, was, was it accurate? And he said, to the detail. So what I just told you is true. But what you might not know, too, is that in the year 2000, at the second millennial celebration in Detroit, they wanted Stevie Wonder to come back and lead the music for the millions gathered downtown. He said, I'll come back on one condition, if you let Mrs. Beneducci be on the platform with me. And she was. And during that musical celebration, they both, for minutes, pled with Detroit's citizenry to continue the hard work of racial reconciliation. Because of one lady who knew the power of positive words. So speak life to one another, folks. Let Jesus rule your heart. Speak life, blessing, hope, encouragement. Life groups, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, encourage one another. Have some time every week where you just encourage one another. There's power in the tongue. So bless yourself, praise yourself, bless others, bless, uh, encourage them. And thirdly, praise God. Use your words to praise God. Not that he has to have us praise and worship him. <laughs> he doesn't have to have it. He's not a megalomaniac. It's just he loves it when we acknowledge who he is.